Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the beginning of Abraham's story. It's found at the end of Genesis chapter 11. We're beginning our study of Abraham, who was truly a most unlikely hero. If God can use Abraham, he can use anybody. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. The Bible names Abraham as a standout man of faith, and for good reason. But did you realize that Abraham didn't start following God until he was 75 years old? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress shows us the moment when Abraham left his home and family and responded to the Lord's call. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. The Bible teaches that Abraham died at a ripe old age, and he did so, and I'm quoting here, satisfied with life. Isn't that what all of us want? When we come to the end of our life, shouldn't it be great to look back with peace and contentment? Well, what's the secret? Today on Pathway to Victory, I'm presenting a brand new teaching series on the life of Abraham. By walking alongside this man of faith over the course of his entire life, we'll discover the key to a satisfied life. Over the next few weeks, our mission is to ignite a flame of passion in your heart so that you face every single challenge, every barrier in your life with courage and conviction. Let me be perfectly clear about this. Abraham was far from perfect. He made some mistakes, but through it all, he walked with God in faith, and you can be filled with faith as well. To enhance your understanding of what this means, I've written a helpful book for you. My new book is called Walking by Faith. It's brand new, and you can only get a copy through Pathway to Victory when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. David and I will say more about my book in the study guide later in the program. But right now, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 11. My first study in this new series is titled, Abraham, a Most Unlikely Hero. I want to do two things to introduce the study of Abraham. First of all, we're going to look at the call of Abraham. And then secondly, we're going to look at God's covenant with Abraham. Let's look at the setting, first of all, of God's call to Abraham. The initial call came in the end of chapter 11. And then in Genesis 12, God reiterated his call. He gave the call again to Abraham. You're not where you're supposed to be. Get up and go to that country that I will show you. So look at verse one. It's the same call. This is just a record of the second one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now this is the same call he had received 15 years earlier. 15 years earlier, living in uh, Ur of the Chaldees, God said, Abraham, I want you to do something. I want you to leave your country. He said, not only do I want you to separate yourself from your country, but also from your relatives. And then he zeroes in on, and leave your father's house. That would be Terah. Terah. Now, every 
Evidence is that Terah was a good father. He provided for his family. But as we'll see in a moment, he was an ungodly influence in Abraham's life. Sometimes we have to make a choice. And God said to Abraham, this is my plan for you. At age 60, leave everything familiar to you, your country, leave your family, leave your father's house to the land that I will show you. F.B. Meyer says, God's commands are not always accompanied by reason, but God's commands are always accompanied by a promise, either spoken or unspoken. And we find that promise beginning in verse 2. God has already said, I want you to go to a land that I will show you. Verse 2, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. These are probably the three most significant verses in all the Bible because they tell us God's plan, not just for Abraham and his descendants, but for the entire world that it includes you and me. We call this the Abrahamic covenant. And really, the rest of the Bible from Genesis 12, 4 to Revelation 22 is a story of God's fulfillment of this unconditional promise to Abraham. To understand it and, and appreciate its significance, remember how Genesis 11 ends the story of Nimrod. He was the one who built this city of Babel. And Nimrod said, let us build a city, let us make a tower, and let us make a name. What Nimrod wanted is what every person wants. Nimrod wanted security. He thought a city would give him that. Let us build a city. He wanted solidarity, all the people coming together in one community. We'll build a tower from which we will all worship. And then thirdly, give us significance. We'll make a name for ourselves. They tried it without God and it was a massive failure. Now God comes to Abraham and he said, I know what you want, Abraham. You're like every other person. You want security? I'll give you security. I'm going to give you a land that will belong to you and your descendants forever. And that was the first part of the Abrahamic covenant, the promise of a land. You want security? I'll give you a land. You want solidarity? You want to have a community, Abraham? Like Nimrod did, I'm going to give you a nation. You're going to be the father of a great nation. Even though you're an old man and you're married to a barren wife, you're going to have not just one descendant. You're going to have so many descendants, you can't count them. Genesis 15 says they will be like the grains of sand on the seashore. They'll be like the stars in the heaven. It will be impossible to count them. And those who bless you and your nation, I will bless, God said. Notice that. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And by the way, you see that throughout history. People who blessed Abraham's descendants, the Jewish people, were blessed by God. Those who cursed Israel and the Jewish people were cursed by God. Just think about it in the Old Testament. Think about everybody who came up against Israel, the Egyptians, the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, they were completely defeated. Think about the nation of Greece when they became the world power. Under Antiochus Epiphanes in 167 BC, they desecrated the temple in uh, Jerusalem 
And soon after that, they were defeated by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the greatest empire in the world, and yet they destroyed the temple of God in Jerusalem in 70 AD, and they were reduced to nothing but dust. The same thing is true today. I don't care whether you're talking about Poland or Spain or Great Britain, anybody who is not a friend of God has become a fifth-rate power in the world. I believe one reason God has blessed America in the past is because America has been a friend to Israel, and God has blessed that. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Several people Friday night sent me a page from former Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's new book that is coming out. And they noted on this page that Netanyahu thanked me for my unwavering support of Israel. Why do I support Israel? It's not because I'm that bright, but even I understand I want to be not only on the right side of history, I want to be on the right side of God. And when you support Israel, you are on the right side of God's blessing. We need to support Israel. Now, it doesn't mean everything Israel does is right, but it means when it comes to inhabiting that land that God has given them, not the UN, that God has given them, we can be sure we're on the right side of God. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And then thirdly, he said, plus, I'm going to give a blessing to the entire world through you. All the nations of the world will be blessed. And that is a reference, of course, to the Lord Jesus Christ. What was Abraham's response? How did he respond to God's call? He responded, first of all, with initial enthusiasm. Genesis 11:31 says, when this call came initially, Abram, Abram was 60. They picked up and off they went in search of this country that God had promised them. Verse 8 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, Only he who believes obeys, and only he who obeys truly believes. There's an inseparable link between believing and obeying. Abraham believed what God said, and he packed up his possessions, and off he went to this new land. Now, the trip from Ur, where he was living, to Haran was a relatively easy journey. There was plenty of pasture along the way to feed their livestock. When they had arrived in Haran, the culture was very much like Ur, what they had been used to. The language was the same. The customs were the same. And when they got to Haran, Terah's, the father of Abram, said, this is far enough, Abram. We've gone far enough. Now, let's settle down here. We've obeyed God enough. You know, Terah's like many parents. Many parents want their children to be religious, just religious enough not to get on drugs or to have a baby out of wedlock. They want just enough of God to keep their children on the right track, but they don't want their children becoming religious fanatics. They don't want, they want them listening to God too closely because if they do, they might do something radical. That was Terah. He wanted Abraham to obey God just enough. And so, 
that initial enthusiasm led to prolonged disobedience on the part of Abraham. In Genesis 11:31, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran and his grandson and Sarai's daughter-in-law. They went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan and they went as far as Haran and they settled there. We know from scholars that Abraham probably spent 15 years in Haran. How did he rationalize that? Perhaps as he looked back on his original call, he thought, well, maybe that wasn't God's voice I heard. Or maybe I didn't understand it correctly. Or even though maybe God told me that years ago, I'm too old now to make any significant changes in my life. What is it that caused Abraham to settle? In a word, it was his father, Terah. Terah is the one who encouraged him to stay. And it would take the death of Terah for Abraham to hear the voice of God. It would take Abraham experience a deep loss in his life, taking away his father, whom he obviously admired. He would have to take his dad away before he could obey God. Genesis 11.32 says, the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Unless you think I'm reading too much in this, listen to what Stephen said in Acts 7.4. Then, after Terah died, he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this country in which you are now living. It was after Terah died that God had Abraham to move. And that led to the third period of time, Abraham's ultimate obedience. Again, the call of God came in verses 1 to 3 of Genesis 12, and look at verse 4. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and he took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. That's Israel. What is Israel today? They set out for the land of Canaan, thus they came to the land of Canaan. Now, remember I said the first part of that journey from Ur to Haran was relatively easy? The journey from Haran to Canaan was difficult. It was 400 miles of desert. Josephus, the historian, tells us that on the way to Canaan, they came to what is now the city of Damascus. There was an oasis there, but Abraham refused to stop. He didn't want to be tempted to make the same mistake he had made when he settled in Haran. And finally, verse 8, after that 400-mile journey, look what happens. Then he, Abram, proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. From this point on, Abraham had a consistent, not spotless, but a consistent obedience to God, even though he lived in the middle of a cultural cesspool with the Canaanites. What is it that kept Abraham's faith intact and his obedience on track during the rest of the time he spent in Canaan? Again, the biographer F.B. Meyer points to two words in verse 8 that explain Abraham's consistent obedience to God from this point on. First of all, 
a tent. Verse 8 says that he pitched his tent. Now, think about this. Even though God had promised this land to Abraham, even though Abraham was a wealthy, wealthy man, from this point, from age 75 till he died at age 175, he never lived in anything except a flimsy, flimsy tent. He never built a house. He never bought a piece of real estate except one on which to bury his wife. He lived as an alien. Why? Because he wanted to be ready to hear and obey the voice of God in case God told him to move again. He lived as an alien in this world. Hebrews 11 verses 9 and 10 says this, By faith Abraham lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Even though Abraham lived in this world, he was not of this world. He was looking for a better country with a better reward. And because of that, this world had little appeal to him. In commenting on that, Meyer has written, all through the history of mankind, there's been a little band of people in a sacred and unbroken succession who have confessed that they were pilgrims and strangers upon earth. Sometimes they are found wandering in deserts and in mountains, dwelling in the dens and caves of the earth to which they have been driven by their otherworldliness. But more often they are to be found in the marketplaces and the homes of men, distinguished only by their simpler dress, their unrestrained appetites, their loose hold on money, their independence from the opinions and the applause of the world around them, and that faraway look which now and again gleams in their eyes. These are pilgrims. For them, the annoyances and trials of life are not so crushing or difficult to bear, because such things as these cannot touch their true treasure or affect their real interest. What is the focus of your life right now? Is it this world? Or is it the next world? Can you honestly say, as the gospel hymn writer said, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. That was Abraham. Now, you know, interestingly, you may remember Abraham had a brother named Nahor. He built a city in Genesis chapter 24. In the world's eyes, he was Terah's successful son. In fact, if you had gone to Ur and you'd say, tell me whatever happened to Terah's son, they would have pointed to Nahor, the son who built a city. You might say, well, didn't Terah have another son? Oh, yeah, the person would say. What was his name? Oh, Abram. Well, whatever happened to Abram? Oh, we don't really know. He kind of became a drifter, never was able to settle down. Last we heard, he was over in Canaan someplace. <laughs> and yet today, hundreds of millions of people around the world name Abraham as their spiritual father, and they don't have a clue who Nahor is. I bet you don't either. Why do they remember Abraham? Because he had another world focus for his life. What kingdom are you building? Are you building your kingdom? Are you building God's kingdom? It's so easy for us to become focused on this world, building our business, building our reputation, building our family, and those are all important, but in the final analysis, 
As one scholar said, they are like dandelion seeds scattered in the wind. They dissipate very, very quickly. It's what's done for God's kingdom that ultimately counts. Abraham pitched his tent. He was an alien in this world. And the second key word in this passage, chapter 12, verse 8, is an altar. He built an altar when he got to Canaan. Did you know for those 15 years he was in Haran, he never once built an altar, no record of it. He never once worshiped God. It's easy to see why when you're living in disobedience, disobedience pushes you further and further away from God. But when he finally heard the voice of God again, he knew he had to build an altar in order to commune regularly with God. Even though he was a wealthy man, even though he lived in a moral cesspool in Canaan, he was able to keep his obedience intact because he regularly communicated with God. Do you have an altar? What is the condition of your altar? Are you meeting regularly with God? You know, I imagine there are some of you here today, some of you watching this program. As you review your life, there's a lot of disappointment. Maybe you haven't fulfilled the goals you or perhaps other people had for you, and yet deep down you may know why. You can look back to a period in your life, a time in your life, when you didn't obey God's command, or you only obeyed it half-heartedly. You know why. You know the point you got off track with God. Let me remind you of something. The point of departure is usually the point of return back to God. If the story of Abraham tells us anything, it tells us this. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how far you've drifted away from God. You can come back. The story of Abraham is an invitation to come back to the altar of God. Meet with God. Listen to His voice. Obey His command. That's how you become a friend of God. You can become a friend of God today, right now. You see, it's never too late to begin doing what's right. And my prayer is that you will begin to take your first steps down the pathway to victory. God is waiting with open arms to receive you. At the beginning of today's program, you heard me explain that we are starting a brand new teaching series called Walking by Faith. Please make it a point to join me every day as we allow Abraham's story to unfold. We'll expose his missteps, we'll cringe at his mistakes, we'll identify with his struggles, but most of all, we'll celebrate his victories along the way. In doing so, we begin to embrace our own story. You see, just like Abraham, God is calling all of us back to Him. This is one of the first times I'll mention my brand new book I've written for you. It's the one I crafted while preparing my sermons for this new series. It's called Walking by Faith. I want to send a copy to your home today when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Our nation and world seem to be spinning out of control. People have lost their confidence in human leadership, and they're becoming distracted by every whim of this world. Jesus Christ is our only hope. And when you give a generous gift to Pathway to Victory, you're empowering us to blanket the globe with clear and hope-filled Bible teaching. 
Thank you for doing your part today. And don't forget, you can watch Pathway to Victory on television. On Saturdays, you can catch us at noon Eastern on the Trinity Broadcasting Network. And on Sundays, we're on hundreds of stations, including TBN at 10 a.m. Eastern and Daystar at 6 p.m. Eastern. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. Today, when you give a generous gift to Pathway to Victory, you're invited to request a copy of the brand new book from Dr. Jeffers called Walking by Faith. Here's our toll-free number to call 866-999-2965 or visit us online at ptv.org. And when you give an especially generous gift of $75 or more, we'll also include the complete Walking by Faith teaching series on audio and video discs, plus the companion study guide. Call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You could also send your request by mail, write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. One more time, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again next time when Dr. Jeffers talks about one of Abraham's greatest mistakes involving an unwise detour to the land of Egypt. Hear a message called, When Godly People Do Ungodly Things. That's coming up Wednesday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. Imagine waking up to the sight of Alaska's majestic coastline or spotting wildlife from the deck of a luxurious cruise ship. Experience these unforgettable moments on the Pathway to Victory Cruise to Alaska with Dr. Robert Jeffers. Relax with us in Alaska, and I guarantee you'll come home spiritually and physically refreshed. To book your spot on the 2024 Pathway to Victory Cruise to Alaska, go to ptv.org.